we pick up our study in 1 Peter right where we left off in our last session. 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. And I want to go ahead and read the passage to you, and then we'll dive in deeper. In 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 13. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation and do not be troubled, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior will be put to shame. For it is better, if God so will it, that you suffer for doing what is right rather than for doing what is wrong. Now remember the context of this precious epistle. Peter is seeking to offer these suffering saints hope in the midst of extreme persecution. Joblessness, homelessness, hunger, brutal torture. They were experiencing incredible hostility against their faith. So hostility against faith is centuries old. It is not new. But in our society today, that hostility seems to be ramping up. How can we handle this onslaught of injustice and attack? How can we do the right thing in the right way for the right reason? Peter first tells us, or first asks us in verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? It is, in actuality, a rhetorical question. Peter knows that these suffering saints can answer the question. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? A rhetorical question. They know the answer. But then Peter is about to remind them of what they already know. This literary device is used frequently throughout, particularly the New Testament. In fact, Paul uses it over and over and over again. In Romans chapter 8, Romans chapter 8, the Apostle Paul asked the question in verse 35, Who will separate us from the love of Christ? It is a rhetorical question in that Paul knew his hearers understood the question and had an answer to the question. But then he goes on to remind them of what they already know. We pick it up. Who will separate us from the love of Christ? Will tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness or peril or sword? Just as it is written, for your sake we are being put to death all day long. 
we were con considered as sheep to be slaughtered. But in all these things, we overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. And then he goes on with this incredible affirmation, for I am convinced that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, and in case I've left anything out that may be on your mind, nor any other created thing, will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now remember the rhetorical question in verse 35, who will separate us from the love of Christ? He goes on to tell them what they already know, and then he concludes at the end of verse 39, nothing will be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. A rhetorical question. The hearers already knew the answer, and then the author reminds them of what they already know. Paul employed the same literary tool in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Great passage talking about the resurrection of Jesus Christ and its implications for you and, and me as children of God. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, beginning with verse 55, after talking about the resurrection and it not having uh, the death not having any hold on us any longer. He asks in verse 55, O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? A rhetorical question after he's already talked about the death, burial, the resurrection of Jesus Christ and the implications of his resurrection for those of us who are believers. O death, where is your victory? O grave, where is your sting? And then he tells them what they already know. The sting of death is sin and the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Back to 1 Peter chapter 3. So Peter is using a rhetorical device. He is asking a question to which these suffering saints already knew the answer, but he is about to remind them of what they already know. Again, in verse 13, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for what is good? Now, let's hone in on the question. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous? Focus on that phrase for just a moment. Zealous, that means intensely, fiercely, passionately. In Peter's day, those who are willing to pay with their absolute lives for what they really, really believed in were called zealots. Now, we have been challenged to be zealots for Christ, to be passionate, to be intense in reflecting Christ in our pursuit of, Peter reminds us, good. Who is there to harm you if you prove zealous, that is, reflecting the character of Christ in your conduct, in your attitude and your action, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for doing what is good? Notice, there is no exception made by Peter for the ugly, the mean-spirited, or the wicked. Peter does not say, those of you who prove zealous for doing what is good toward those who are good toward you. <laughs> we don't find that clause here 
in the verse. He says, who is there to harm you if you prove zealous for doing what is good toward all people by honoring God in the way that you address other people? However, let's pause there and let's remember in light of the question, doing good is not a protective suit that automatically wards off bad things. And I fear in the body of Christ that sometimes we leave people with that impression. We leave them with the impression that if they do the right thing for the right reason in the right things, that everything will always work out the right way. Many of you who have joined us in this study are mature in your faith, enough in your faith to know that just is not true. And quite often, it hurts my heart as a pastor that we leave people with the false impression that when they come to Christ, everything's going to be all right. You give your heart to Jesus and it's going to be all unicorns and rainbows. And that, beloved, just is not true. When we were lost, when we were separated from God by sin, the devil left us alone. But when we repented of our sin, placed our faith in Jesus and made him Lord of life, when we linked our past, our present, and our future to the Lord Jesus Christ, the devil immediately set his sights on our destruction. So when we come to Christ, it's not always going to be wonderful. There's going to be pain because now we have an enemy who is intent on our destruction. And Peter reminds us of that right here. He's not preaching all rainbows and unicorns. Look at verse 14. But even, you see the exception? But even, there's an understanding this could occur. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, do you see it? Suffering for the sake of righteousness. You are suffering as a result of your commitment to have right standing and seek right standing with God in your character and your conduct. But even if you should suffer for the sake of righteousness, even if you're suffering, as long as it's for that reason, you are blessed. And do not fear their intimidation, and do not be troubled. And then in verse 17, he brings it up again. For it is better, if God should will it so, that you suffer for doing what is right, rather than for doing what is wrong. Be prepared. We have been told in Scripture, in this world, you will have tribulation. But Jesus said, be of good cheer, I have overcome the world. But this persecution, this suffering, because we are seeking to be right with God and have right standing with God is nothing new. In fact, in the Sermon on the Mount, the greatest sermon ever preached, the Lord Jesus himself said in Matthew chapter 5, beginning with verse 10, Matthew chapter 5, verse 10. 
there we are. Blessed, same word, are those who have been persecuted for what purpose? For the sake of righteousness. See the connection with 1 Peter. This is the Lord Jesus himself. Gee, I wonder where Peter got that thought. <laughs> From right here, the lips of the Lord Jesus himself. Blessed are those who have been persecuted for the sake of righteousness. For those who are intent upon having a right standing with God in their character and their conduct. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. That principle is so important that Jesus continues in verse 11 of chapter 5, as in the Sermon on the Mount, blessed are you when people insult you and persecute you and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, for your reward in heaven is great. And then Jesus himself reminds us we're not alone. For in the same way, they persecuted the prophets who were before you. It is no secret to any of you who are part of this study with us that we are experiencing a whole new assault on our godly values in this current age. A corrupt, ungodly political climate that is assaulting our very values. It, there is not a single solitary day in the United States of America that we do not wake up, look at the news, and find that someone is assaulting our faith, or because of our stand for truth, are calling us bigots or something far worse. And we can take the words of Peter to these suffering saints and we can apply them to our own situation. Peter is saying to us, do not fear the tribulation. Don't be shaken. Don't be stirred. Why not? The greater the attack, the greater the blessing. In fact, the Apostle Paul communicated this very same truth to the Corinthians. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4, verse 16, Paul writes to the church at Corinth, Therefore we do not lose heart, but though our outer man is decaying, yet our inner man is being renewed day by day. Now here's the connection with what Peter's talking about. Verse 17, For momentary light affliction is producing for us an eternal weight of glory far beyond all comparison. While we look not at the things which are seen, but at the things which are not seen, for the things which are seen are temporal, but the things which are not seen are eternal. If we are suffering for the sake of doing what is right, Peter is telling us we are blessed. We're not focusing on the suffering of the temporal. We're focusing on the glory of the eternal when God rewards us, God blesses us because of how we've handled the suffering here in the eternal. In Revelation, the Apostle John sought to comfort the beleaguered church of Smyrna with these words, Do not fear what you're about to suffer. Behold, the devil is about to cast some of you into prison so that you will be tested and you will have tribulation for 10 days. And this exhortation 
be faithful unto death, and I will give you the crown of life. Revelation chapter 2, verse 10. So Peter is encouraging these suffering saints and us with the spiritual truth that we are blessed when we suffer for doing the right thing in the right way for the right reason. Now the word blessed is the word makarios, and it literally means fulfilled satisfaction in life. You and I experience an incredible fulfilling satisfaction in life when we do the right thing in the right way for the right reason. But how can we do that? Uh, amid the attack, uh, amid the assault, uh, amid the vicious verbal poison hurled at us, how can we do the right thing in the right way for the right reason? I am so glad you asked. And fortunately for us, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, Peter answers that very question. Verses 15 and 16. But sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you, yet with gentleness and reverence. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. The root of the word sanctify is the Greek word hagias. It means to be sanctified, to be set apart for God's unique purpose. So what does it mean when Peter tells us that we are to sanctify Christ as Lord, we are to make a conscious, passionate commitment every moment of every day to let Christ reign sovereign and supreme over every aspect of our lives. Where do we do this? Peter tells us, but sanctify Christ as Lord in your hearts, in the innermost core of our being, at the core of all that we are, but sanctify Christ as Lord, sovereign over our hearts. And then Peter goes on to tell us why we do it. Always being ready to make a defense to everyone who asks you to give an account for the hope that is in you. The word defense is a legal term from the judicial arena. What a great word picture he provides for us. Now remember, hope, as we have said in, in past sessions, simply defined hope is the bedrock guarantee of our future inheritance rooted in a past event. Hope is a future inheritance, a bedrock guarantee of a future inheritance rooted in a past event. If my hope were put on trial in a court of law, that's what Peter's asking, would my life be exhibit A to defend my hope? Where we do it? why we do it. Now look at 
how we do it as he continues there in verse uh, 15. Yet with gentleness and reverence, verse 16, and keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Arrogance does not in any way advance the kingdom of God. We are to demonstrate a humility that says, I know who I am, but I know who I am is not because of what I have done. I am who I am because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross. And I know I am who I am because of what Jesus Christ did for me on the cross, even though I did not deserve for him to do it. with gentleness and reverence. We are to live every moment of every day out of a deep devotion to God because of what Jesus Christ has done for us. Then look back at verse 16. And keep a good conscience so that in the thing in which you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ will be put to shame. Peter is talking about a life of integrity. Integrity means who I am on the inside is who you see on the outside. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 tells us a good name is better than great riches. Peter is exhorting us, live your life in such a way that if anyone says anything bad about you, no one who knows you will even believe it. That is an, the honorable pursuit, even in the midst of persecution, that will bring great pleasure to God and store up for you and me great blessings in glory. Remember, we do not live our lives for the here. We live our lives for the hereafter. So every moment of every day, we do not live our lives and our character and our conduct for here. Every moment of every day when we get out of bed, we live our lives, not for here, but for there. I'll see you next session. This study through God's Word is a study for scuba divers. As I shared in our introduction, there are two approaches to God's Word. You can approach God's Word as a snorkeler, or you can approach God's Word as a scuba diver. Snorkelers stay on the surface. They get a panoramic view of what's in the Word. But the scuba diver goes deep. He immerses himself in the water, and he finds the treasures buried among the reefs below. We want to help you find the treasures of God's Word by going deeper. And I hope that we have accomplished that. As always, we'd love to hear from you. Word Power Media Ministry, our email address, wordpowermm at gmx.com. Also, if you have a prayer request, please feel free to reach out to us. Our team would love to lift that prayer uh, to the Lord on your behalf. 
We consider ourselves family. You have never been in a room with us face to face. But if you've joined us in this journey through God's word, we consider you family. And we want to do everything we can to encourage you and to minister to you. Thank you.